So last week, we started a brand new series um, in the, on learning to lament and looking specifically at the book of Lamentations, and then we're going to be looking at Psalms a little bit and just learning this kind of uh, lost uh, piece of our faith, I think, a lot of times for us as Christians today and uh, this opportunity to learn how to press into God in the moments of our grief and pain and struggle. Um, and uh, we were having a great conversation in our small group this week that, you know, it's, it's one of those things that you don't really think about it until you need it and you're in the middle of it. Um, and then oftentimes when you're already in the middle of the pain, it's kind of too late to learn and to get there because you're just so overwhelmed by what's going on. We have to learn this now beforehand so we're ready when it comes. And uh, so hopefully this is going to be for preparation for you as well. But today we're going to go to Lamentations chapter 3. It's where we want to press in as we continue to learn. Um, I'm going to be talking about the hope of humanity and the truth of God. Um, and so I was thinking about this week, and, and you know, a common sight, if you've ever been in, in like a Christian bookstore or something like that, there's always this section that has this plethora of like home decor, right, that has like all these different pictures and things with verses written on them and stuff like that. Maybe a picture that might look something like this, where they have, you know, this beautiful picture kind of paired with some inspirational truth. You got this nice little, you know, idyllic college, cottage set in the woods, and you know, a place you might want to go and relax and rejuvenate and get away from the hustle and bustle of life and just enjoy God's creation. And you have a verse something like this, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Which is a lovely sentiment, right? And, and who wouldn't, like, for sure feel the mercy of God surrounded by that, but that is not actually the setting of these verses in Scripture. Not at all, actually. These verses come right smack dab in the middle of chapter 3 of Lamentations. Right in the middle of, of the destruction and the horror and the, the pain of Jerusalem being destroyed that we talked about last week. It's not some Thomas Kincaid scene. Jeremiah pins these words in the midst of his hurt and his pain and his struggle, not as an outpouring of the feelings that he has because of his circumstances, but rather as a statement of this is what I have to put my feet on. This is the foundation that I'm looking for in the middle of my pain. And so that's what we want to look at today through chapter 3 is that lament looks for hope, not in my tidal wave of feelings, but in the truth of God. When we're struggling through grief and sorrow and pain, the place we have to turn to find hope again is not through circumstances or emotions or feelings, it's through the truth of God's word. And Jeremiah is going to show us what that looks like today in chapter 3. So as we dive in today, I want to start by kind of pointing out two verses from chapter 3 that kind of show this really kind of stark dichotomy in the first half of the chapter to the second half of the chapter. Okay? So look at verse 18 to start. In verse 18 he writes, So I say, my endurance has perished, so has my hope from the Lord. Sounds pretty bleak, right? That my hope has perished. It's gone. 
But then we get to the second half of the chapter. Look at, look at verse 58. He says this. He says, you have taken up my cause, O Lord. You have redeemed my life. Very different statement right there in verse 58. And so what you're going to see as we start to walk through chapter 3 here is that we, when you're in lament, it's about moving from hopelessness to trusting. That's point number one this morning. Moving from hopelessness to trusting. See, chapter 3 is divided kind of into two halves, and it has two very different perspectives. The first half of chapter 3 is all of this complete feeling of hopelessness based on what's going on in his life right now. But the second half is going to turn, and it's going to go into this, this growing trust in God. So let's look at the first half with this idea that hope has perished, like in verse 18. The pain and the grief that we heard about in chapters 1 and 2 has now become very, very personal for Jeremiah. Look at verse 1 of chapter 3. He says, I am the man who has seen affliction under the rod of his wrath. He has driven and brought me into darkness without any light. Surely against me he turns his hand again and again the whole day long. He has made my flesh and my skin waste away. He has broken my bones. He has besieged me, besieged and enveloped me with bitterness and tribulation. Do you hear all the me's in there? Like this has become personal for Jeremiah now. It is, it's, it's overwhelming to him. He has no more hope. He has literally hit rock bottom. We see that most in maybe verse 20 where he says, My soul continually remembers it and is bowed down within me. He's just at the bottom. All his faith is gone. It's empty. He kind of has this, this feeling over his whole life right now of like, I'm not even sure that I can trust God anymore. Have you been there before? Have you had that moment where you felt like you were just at rock bottom with God? I know I have. I've had a few of those. This is one of the reasons that I love the book of Lamentations is that it assures me and tells me and reminds me that in those moments of rock bottom, I'm not alone. I'm not the only one who's ever felt that. All right, this, this isn't unique to Micah. This is part of the human experience at various points in our lives, and Jeremiah is there. But the even better news from Lamentations is that God can meet you at the bottom. He can come when you're at the bottom of the pit and meet you right there if you will just ask him. Jeremiah does it in verse 19. Look at verse 19. He says, he turns into the Lord. He says, remember my affliction and my wanderings, the wormwood and the gall. This is the, the third element to lament that we're going to talk about later on in the series is this need to ask to ask the Lord to make right what is wrong, to come and meet us in our pain and our grief. And then, right in the middle of chapter 3, it takes this hard turn to the right, and we start to see Jeremiah turn from this utter hopelessness in the first half 
to this growing trust in the second half. Let me kind of highlight that for you. Look at verse 55. He says, I called on your name, O Lord, from the depths of the pit. There it is. He's at the bottom, right? I called on your name, O Lord, and you heard my plea. Do not close your ear to my cry for help. You came near when I called on you. You said, do not fear. You have taken up my cause, O Lord. You have redeemed my life. That's a different Jeremiah, right? <laughs> like, that's a different guy writing those words than what we saw in the first half. Something has changed. Something has dramatically changed. It's shifted for him. So we have to ask the question, what changed in the middle of chapter 3? It wasn't his circumstances. Jerusalem still lies in ashes here. The people are still in exile. God still seems to be at MIA at the moment. Nothing around Jeremiah has changed. So what changed? It was his perspective. His focus was no longer on the situation. He was now turning his focus to the Lord. He wasn't looking at his pain anymore. He was looking at God's truth. He was no longer focused on his feelings, but rather on the promises of God. I've shared at different times before a little bit about our church planting journey when we were planting Harvest. In those early days uh, in the core group, we had been working hard to, to build the core group up from like zero to, to 50 adults where we could kind of launch, get things going. And about six months into that process, we just hit a wall. Like, things just stopped moving. We got stuck at like 30 or 35 people. We'd gain a couple, and we'd lose a couple, and it would just, just hovered right there for months and months. And, and for me personally, I was doing everything I could to try to bring more people on to, on the boat, to like share the vision and, and, and figure out who is God calling to this and to bring them to it. And I was doing everything I could think of to keep it going, to keep the ball moving forward. And it just wasn't working. And I, I got to the point where I was really defeated and discouraged and, and really like questioning God's call. Like, is this, is this for real? God, like, is this, did I mess something up? Did I get it wrong? And I started praying really desperate prayers. Like, literally, I was praying, God, if I messed up, if this is not your plan, if this is not what you call us to do, then shut it down. Like, make everybody leave, dry up the money, like, just, like, shut the whole thing down. If this is not it, because I can't do this anymore. It was definitely one of the lowest moments in ministry for me ever. Like I was at rock bottom with the Lord. Feeling like he had abandoned us. Like he wasn't with us anymore in the process. And one day as I was praying, God spoke to me and he said, I didn't call you to build this church. That's my job. Stop trusting in you and start trusting in me. And he was right. Everything I was doing was in 
if my own abilities and in my own strength, and if I just do this, and if I just do this X, Y, and Z, then this will work, and people will come, and and it wasn't working, and I was feeling hopeless because I was trying to do it on my own. And in the midst of that, I remember I was studying one day, and and God gave me this verse in Second Chronicles chapter twenty. In this section of Chronicles, King Jehoshaphat and Judah are about to be attacked by this massive army that's coming after them. And they're just about to wipe them out. And they are so freaked out. And they're worried. They have no idea what's going to happen. It looks like this is the end and it's all going to go down. And so Jehoshaphat goes to the temple and a lot of people go with him. And he just starts praying to the Lord, just begging the Lord to come and help him. He has this big, long prayer in chapter 20. And at the very end of his prayer... This is how he closes it. He says this in, chapter, in verse 12. He says, we do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. And that prayer became my prayer in the midst of that struggle. Like, God, I don't know what to do, but my eyes are on you. I trust you, God. God hadn't changed my circumstances yet. He hadn't changed our circumstances yet as a core group. But he changed my perspective through that process. He oftentimes does that through pain and grief and lament. He wants to change our perspective off of us, off of this world, off of the circumstances, and on to him. He wants to get us away from trusting in ourselves so that we'll put all of our trust in him. And so lament stops fixating on my circumstances and fixes my eyes on the Lord. This is one of the powerful pieces of lament, is that shift in perspective. So let's look at that a little bit more closely. Look at verse 21. This is the the, the shifting point. This is the pinnacle verse right here. Verse 21, he says, but this... I call to mind, and therefore, I have hope. See, lament is about finding hope in truth. That's point number two. Find hope in God's truth. So verse 21, it's, it's, the, unlock, it's the key to unlocking this new perspective that we find in the second half of chapter 3. It's the pinnacle of the whole book. Right? It all comes to this moment, and it starts with this word, but. And what you're going to see as we study lament is that lament always turns on words like yet and but. That's always the turning point from the hopeless grief to the truth of God. The New Living Translation says it like this. It says, yet I still dare to hope when I remember this. Again, the circumstances have not changed yet. And yet, Jeremiah dares to hope in the midst of the pain and in the midst of the grief. He finds a way to turn away from the circumstances and towards hope again. And the key to doing that is right here in the scripture. He says, this I call to mind. Or in the New Living Translation, this I remember. 
the Hebrew word there in that phrase is the same word that they use for like heart or, or the essence of your being, the very center of who you are, what you believe most deeply inside. Jeremiah, in the middle of his hopelessness, he turns to what he most deeply believes about God and his character. Jeremiah uses his theology as a foundation for hope. Because you see, what we need to understand is that in lament, hope is found in what we believe about God, not what we feel in the moment. It doesn't come through feeling and emotion. It comes through believing and standing on the truth of God's word. I mentioned last week, I read this book this last year by Mark Brogop, um, Dark Clouds, Deep Mercy. I'm getting a lot of, a lot of information from him. He, it's so good. If you want to read it, man, get it, read that book. It's fantastic. But I want to read just a little section here that he writes on this idea. He says, lament dares to hope while life is hard. As we put lament into practice, as we choose to rehearse what we believe, we learn to walk by faith. Lament is a prayer of faith despite your fear. He writes this, he says, I want you to learn from this shift in mindset. Lamentation shows us that hope does not come from a change of circumstances. Rather, it comes from what you know to be true despite the situation in front of you. In other words, you live through suffering by what you believe, not by what you see or feel. And so when we get into these places of grief and pain and hopelessness, we have to learn to fight against that hopelessness with truth. It's a battle of the mind, it's a battle of the heart that's going on in those moments. Let me give you an example from Scripture. Psalm 42.5, the psalmist writes this. He says, Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? He's, the psalmist, he's talking to himself. Right? Like he's, he, he, know, he recognizes that his soul is in despair, that he's downtrodden, he's, he's in pain and grief. He says, why? Why are you feeling this way? And then he says this, he says, hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation. He starts ex exhorting his own heart to believe in God again, to remember and to call to mind who God is and the truth that we have in him and in his word. You see, lament sometimes requires that we argue back with our own heart. That we, we talk to ourselves. That those feelings that are anchoring us in hopelessness, that we replace those with the truth of who God is and the promises of his word. Do you know what an earworm is? You ever heard that term before? It, it's not like some new disease that's taking over the world and going to kill us all after COVID's done. It's not, no more of that. We're done with that for a few years. I just declare that right now, okay? Now, an earworm is when you like hear a song or you hear a lyric or, or a section of lyrics and they just kind of get stuck in your head. 
and they just go on over, over, repeat, and repeat. And you know what I'm talking about? You just get that song that just is on, repeat in your head all the time. You can't get rid of it. Sometimes, when we get into pain and grief and sorrow, we get kind of an earworm, but it's not a song. It's these internal voices in our heads that get stuck on repeat, saying things like, God doesn't really love me. If, this, if he let this happen, obviously he doesn't really care. He, he's, he's not paying attention to me right now. He, he's not going to help me with this. Well, where is he? Why would he even let this come about? I'm abandoned. I'm alone. I'm stuck. Right here. In this place. In this pain. Forever. And those voices, they're like a track in our mind that gets stuck on repeat. And they just cycle through over and over and over. That is exactly what we have to fight back against. That's what Jeremiah is saying here. Just like Jeremiah, we have to call to mind God's promises, God's truth, God's character that disproves the lies that are on repeat in our head. We have to remember who he really is and what we know to be true about him. In other words, we have to record a new track full of the truth and the promises of God that can be on repeat to get us through the pain and to get us through the struggle. Lament finds hope in what I believe about God, not what I feel in the moment. If you really want to find hope in the midst of that pain, in the midst of that grief and sorrow, it's not going to be in what you feel. It's not going to come from your emotions. It's going to come from the truth of who God is. So with that in mind, I want to move to the third point this morning. I want to give you four truths of hope. Four truths for hope. And these come straight out of Lamentations 3. Jeremiah lays these out for us. Right after he makes this turn, he's going to show us four truths that can help us have hope in the midst of pain. Look at verse 22. He says, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. Truth number one, God's mercy never ends. He says here, he says, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. That's, that word, that phrase there, steadfast love, comes from a very common and well-known Hebrew word, hesed. If you've been in church for very long, you've probably heard this before. Hesed is the covenant love of God. It's, it's the love that God has for his people that's rooted in himself, in his own nature, in his own character. It flows from him because he has love for those that he has created in his image regardless of anything else. 
It's part of who he is. And so therefore, steadfast love, has said, becomes our greatest source of hope. Because God will always be God. And therefore, we will always be loved. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. He goes on, he says, that there are new mercies every morning. When he says new mercies, he doesn't mean like mercy for the first time. Like, like you've never had it before and so it's new. It's more like renewed mercies. That every morning he renews his mercy to us. He gives us just enough mercy, just enough grace for that day. And he does that every day. It never ceases. Which leads him then to his conclusion in verse 24. He says, therefore, I will hope in him. God's love and God's mercy leads us right back to himself. To our source of hope, our foundation in the pain. When God is all you have, when you're at the bottom and God is all you have, you learn that God is enough. Because his steadfast love and his mercies never cease. That's the first truth. Second truth, look at verse 25. It says, The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. It is good for a man that he, be, that he bear the yoke in his youth. Point number two. Waiting is not wasting. The second truth of lament is that waiting is not wasting, although sometimes it feels like it. Amen? Anybody else, else hate waiting besides me, right? But right here, we kind of lose it in the English translation because it, in English they have to change the word order to make it fit our sentence structure. But in the original Hebrew, all three of these sentences, they start with the exact same word good. It would, it would read something like this, good is the Lord to those who wait for him. Good it is that one should wait quietly on the Lord. Good it is that man should bear the yoke in his youth. Three times, good, good, good. He says that waiting is good. Why? Why is that good? Because I'll be honest, for me, I don't that's not good. I don't like waiting. But God says it's good because waiting grows our trust muscle. Did you know you had a trust muscle? It grows our ability to trust the Lord while we wait on Him to work. That while I'm not doing anything, God is doing everything. That while I'm waiting, God is working. That's trusting in the Lord. It teaches me to give Him control of my life rather than me holding on to the control for myself. And at the end, He says it's good that we learn to bear the yoke in our youth. 
In other words, learning to wait on the Lord early in life is a wonderful gift and help to our faith. It's something that will carry you through some of the darkest days ahead. But we have to learn it early. You know, we are so blessed and excited uh, to be in our new church home and to be here worshiping together. Um, but some of you, as some of you know, the road to get here was a little rough. Um, COVID wreaked havoc on everything, right? From government offices to supply chains to laborers to materials, like all of it was just out of sorts. And so it took a lot, lot longer to get here than what we had anticipated and hoped for. And and we had to do a lot of waiting in that year, year and a half process. But none of it, for me, was more difficult than those last few weeks leading up to the end. You see, we had set this soft launch Sunday date where we were going to come here and just be our church family and kind of get used to things. And then a couple weeks later, we are going to do our big grand opening. And as we got closer and closer to the soft launch Sunday, some things were happening, some things got delayed, they put everything in jeopardy, and we missed that first Sunday. We didn't get to be here like we thought we were going to be. And we're like, all right, that's not a big deal. One Sunday, we'll just, we'll be, next Sunday we'll be in here, and then after that grand opening, we'll be good. And then we missed the next Sunday because things just kept getting delayed and delayed, and our inspection didn't pass, and we had this issue and that issue. And so then the next Sunday was going to be grand opening which had been widely publicized, right? Like, like you can't pull that stuff back. Right? Like, it's out there. We're like, all right, God, like, this is it. This is the last week. But there was nothing we could do to speed up the process. There was nothing we could do to make it happen. We were literally just having to wait on the Lord to see if, it was going to, if he was going to pull it all together. And to make matters worse for me, our family had planned to be out of town that week. And so we're out of town the whole week, so the staff and the team are here. They're trying to get all the things ready and get everything together, and I'm, we're out driving across the country, and I'm just like fretting over this thing, and I'm praying to God, like, God, you've got to do something. You've got to show up. And, and in the midst of my worry and my, my concern and my fret over how this was all going to play out, we're driving down the road and listening to some music, and God spoke to me, and he reminded me of this exact lesson through a song that came on. I want to just play just a little clip of that for you. Go ahead and play that. I'm gonna wait on you. I'm gonna wait on you. I've tasted your goodness. I'm trusting your promise. I'm gonna wait on you. Yes, I'm gonna wait on you. Oh, I've tasted your goodness.
what happens when you wait. That when we wait on the Lord, God becomes your strength in the midst of the sorrow. In the midst of the pain. In the midst of the worry and the fear and the struggle. And that's why it's good to wait on the Lord. Waiting is not wasting. Lament reminds us that it's good. There's a third truth here that we see from Jeremiah. Look at verse 31. It says, For the Lord will not cast off forever, but though he cause grief, he will have compassion according to the abundance of his steadfast love. Third lesson is this. Suffering has a shelf life. See, oftentimes in the middle of the pain, in the middle of the struggle and the fear, we have this worry, we have this, this fear that it's never going to end. Right? Like, like this, is, this is my life forever. I'm just going to be stuck in this right here. Or we have the fear that, it's, that it has no purpose. That we're, we're going through all this suffering, we're going through all this mess for nothing. But Jeremiah, God's word tells us differently. He says that the Lord will not cast off forever. It's not forever. He will have compassion. God assures us that all of our suffering has limits. That God has put a limitation on that which he will allow us to go through. And that God will use every bit of it to point us back to him, to grow our trust, to grow our faith, to show us his steadfast love for us, never ceases. Lament spotlights our need for Jesus to come and to save us, to help us, to rid us of our sin and our suffering. It reminds us that we all, every one of us, we need to turn away from our sin and put our faith in Jesus Christ so that we can have hope that one day the suffering will stop. And we will be with God in heaven for all of eternity where there is no more suffering, there is no more pain. That that is limited to this life. One day this life of pain will end and those who have believed in Jesus Christ and only those who have believed in Jesus Christ will have eternity with Him in heaven free from all of it. Revelation chapter 7 gives us a picture of that. Verse 15 says, Therefore they are before the throne of God, and they serve him day and night in his temple, and he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd, and he will guide them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. We long 
for that day when our faith will be sight. But until then, here, now, we lament by faith that that day is coming. I shared several times in the last several weeks ago now, Cordy's dad passed away and our, our family and has been walking through that pain and that grief. And as hard as that was, it was also a great reminder that one day the suffering will end and we will be with Jesus. That's the hope. Lament reminds us that suffering has a shelf life. One more, fourth truth this morning. Look at verse 33. For he does not afflict from his heart or grieve the children of men. Fourth truth is this, that God is always good. I love that in verse 33. He does not afflict from his heart. Yes, God disciplines us at times. Yes, he allows pain and suffering to come to use it in our lives. But God doesn't take any delight in our pain. He doesn't do it for kicks or grins. This isn't something that God is finding joy in. He does it for his loving purposes in our life. He does it because he is a good God. And he's going to do whatever it takes to get us to a good place with him. It's very much like parenting. Just as like parents, we, we do not delight in the discipline of our children. I know they think we do. But we don't, right? Like it, We don't want to do that. But we do it because we love them. We know that's what they need. We know that's what's good for them. Same thing with God. God is always good, and so he works in our lives for our good as well, even when it hurts. So if the key to moving from hopelessness to trusting is standing on the truth of God, is having the truth of God, then we need to prepare our hearts and our minds to be equipped with that before we need it. So this week I want to give you another assignment. This week's homework is I want you to work on recording a new track of God's truth in your mind, and your heart. Record a new track that you can play when the pain comes and you need something to drown out the voices. Right? Go to Lamentations chapter 3. Read through it this week. Pick out one or two verses that declare the truth about God's love and his mercy and his hope in the midst of pain. If you don't, if you don't find something in Lamentations 3, fine. Wherever. Just go somewhere in the Bible. Find some verses that give you that hope of who God is. And I want you to memorize those this week. I want you to record a new track in your mind. 
that you can stand on in the midst of the pain. Because lament looks for hope, not in my tidal wave of feelings, but in the truth of God. As we continue on our journey of lament, it's vital that we learn to anchor our heart in the truth and the foundation of who God is. Like I said, not now, not later, now. We need to learn this now. If you wait until the pain comes and you need it in the moment, it's going to be too late. You're going to be too overwhelmed. You're going to be too just drowning underwater. You've got to get it now. And so I want to just do that right now. I want us to sing and pray the wonderful faithfulness and mercy of God that meets us right in the middle of our pain and our grief. Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray and then let's proclaim in our hearts today who God is and his faithfulness to us. Dear Heavenly Father, we just come to you this morning, God. We thank you for another day of your new mercies to us. Lord, we thank you, God, that you are so good and so gracious towards us, O Lord. Heavenly Father, thank you for your steadfast love, your never-ending love towards us. Lord, we would be lost, we would be helpless without you. And God, this morning we confess that we are too often, Lord, we get lost in our pain, in our circumstances, in our feelings, and we lose sight of you. We lose sight of your truth. So God, help us. Help us to anchor ourselves in your word, in your character, despite what the suffering comes our way. You have proven yourself faithful throughout all of time. And so God, we trust that you will continue to be faithful to us even now. God, we pray all of this in the great name of Jesus Christ.